And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you in our listening audience. And I emphasize the word listening audience this morning as uh, apparently right now our Facebook Live uh, feed is down. We're trying to make uh, heads or tails of that and figure out how to get it back up and running. So right now, uh, going to Facebook Live will not net you a view of the program. You'll have to listen and you probably already are at pressboxonline.com slash radio. I am flying solo this morning, uh, but that doesn't mean I'm solo the whole show. Got a great bevy of baseball talk guests over the next two hours. It will take myself and Brittany Everett, my producer, uh, all the way to 12 noon. We'll start off at 1020 with uh, Jim Henneman. Uh, who writes for Pressbox. We'll talk to him about his Hall of Fame vote uh, garnered uh, through the many years of working for the Baltimore Sun. Uh, Jim's still very active as a baseball writer and a voter in the Hall of Fame, and I know he takes a lot of pride in that vote. At 1045, an old friend of mine uh, he was a score updater for me many, many moons ago, and I'm talking about like 22, 23 years ago. Right now, he lives in the uh, Albany, New York area. He's a frequent contributor to Spectrum Sports, and that is the award-winning real estate agent, Brian Sinkoff. He did Sound Off with Sinkoff in Albany. Uh, he had a couple, he, let's see, how many years was he in the business? Five TV stations. From Baltimore to Clarksburg, West Virginia, to Scranton, PA, to Norfolk, Virginia, and then in Albany, and he's a University of Maryland grad. But we have him on today to talk about his great appreciation and admiration for one Mike Mussina, and I may be able to get him to tell a story about the Hall of Famer Lee Smith, who's also going in with Mike Mussina this year to the Hall of Fame, uh, voted in by the... Uh, whatever the name is of the Veterans Committee. I think it's called the uh, Everyday, or, you know, I cannot believe I draw that blank, all right? Anyway, Brian Sinkoff joins us at 1045. Uh, Mike Shallon will join us from the uh, New Hampshire Union Leader. Uh, he's a columnist for that paper. He formerly wrote for um, uh, the Boston Herald, and worked in New York. He's written several books on sports, uh, including he's written the words, and uh, Stephen Babineau took the pictures for uh, the, the hometown team, a uh, picture, uh, a book, a coffee table type book, which has got uh, several hundred pictures of Fenway Park, action at Fenway Park in the book. Speaking of books, at 1120, I'm really excited to have on uh, ben Reiter, uh, R-E-I-T-E-R, although it sounds like um, Reiter, W-R-I-T-E-R, but he has written uh, a book entitled Astro Ball, The New Way to Win It All, and we will have one with us um, 
Ben Ryder. I'm in the middle of the book right now. Um, it, it's interesting. Ben was the Ben writes for Sports Illustrated, and in June of 2014, uh, I won't say they were struggling for a cover story, uh, but they hadn't decided what to put on the cover. And I just read this about two weeks ago, and they boiled it down to two stories. It was uh, his story on your 2017 World Series champs with a picture of George Springer on the cover. Uh, And that's what ended up winning out over a story of some other story about, I think it was soccer or something like that. Anyway, that means that Ben Ryder had predicted, accurately predicted in June of 2014 that the Astros would win the World Series in 2017. Again, that story uh, appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated in June of 2014, and it was uh, it was interesting. The headline, which ran second, was your 2017 World Series champs, but the, the sort of the subhead ran, and I've never really seen this uh, used too often, it ran before, and it said, an unprecedented look at how a franchise went beyond Moneyball to build the game's new big thing, and your 2017 world champion, and it was the Houston Astros. They, of course, did win the World Series in 2017. And what did Ben Ryder get? In addition to probably a nice paycheck from Sports Illustrated, he had the uh, genesis for a book called Astro Ball, The New Way to Win It All, and it's an inside look at folks like Jeff Lunau, Mike Elias, Sig Meidel, and um, it especially resonates here in Baltimore right now because uh, we have the uh, we have two of those three people here in Baltimore trying to change the fortunes of the Baltimore Orioles. So uh, that's uh, an interesting story, uh, needless to say. Um, after Ben Ryder at eleven twenty. We will have on with us Adam Pohl, the broadcaster and new father, uh, broadcaster of the Bowie Bay Sox, new father of a daughter, a six-week-old daughter, Alexandra. And Adam Pohl is not going to come on to talk too much about his six-year-old daughter, Alexandra. He's on to talk about the new manager of the Norfolk Tides, 55-year-old Gary Kendall, was named uh, to that post yesterday, which is a promotion after, I believe, eight years at um, Bowie. So it's nice to see the Orioles, uh, you know, listen, they're not in the business of taking care of their own. They're in the business of trying to uh, shape this organization back into a consistently and sustainably um, run organization that will year in and year out have chances to uh, contend for the postseason. They're a couple, they're two two to four years away realistically from that possibility. And when I say two years, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying by 2020. I'm saying perhaps by 2021, the club could be back to being respectable. Uh, but I wouldn't think they would contend for anything in any meaningful way until 22 or 23. Um, part of that is going to be, um, and as we will see in less than two weeks when spring training starts, and they they 
they sort of scour what they have. They um, try and make heads or tails of really what happens to these players. And I'm talking mostly at this point about position players. Um, you know, I know ultimately pitching wins you an awful lot of games in the big leagues, but the Orioles right now, um, they have at least three, you know, decent major league starting pitchers in Alex Cobb, Dylan Bundy, and Andrew Kashner. But uh, we don't know how many um, everyday players are in that lineup. So something the Orioles have been just absolutely awful at. And, you know, I did an interview. Our, our cover story for March this year is going to be an interview I did this past week with Mike Elias. I got to spend about 30 minutes with Mike. I found him very engaging, very honest, um, no hidden agendas or anything like that. Found him to be a really uh, interesting uh, guy. I don't know how much of this history he knows, but the Orioles scouting directors um, – Tom Giordano, 11 years. Fred Yulman Sr., three years, starting in 1986. Tom Giordano started in 76 under uh, Hank Peters. Fred Yulman Sr., three years in 1986. John Barr, two years in 1989. Gary Nichols, eight years on the job, 91 is when he started. Nine years on the job, Tony DeMacio. Uh, started in 1999. Joe Jordan, six years, started in 05. And Gary Rasich just finished up as director of scouting. Six years, started in 2013. What do all of those folks have in common? Well, they I'll tell you what they have in common. They did a rather poor job at drafting everyday position players in the Baltimore Orioles. And I, I go back, remember, the amateur draft started in Major League Baseball. Before that, everybody was sort of a uh, unsigned free agent or bonus baby back then. The draft started in 1965. So that is 35 and 18. That's 53 years. Here's the number one picks that have at least made it to Baltimore and and had a little bit of juice in Baltimore, okay? These are the this is the club's number one picks that made it. Not I'm not giving you every single one of them. I'm giving you the ones that that had a little bit of consequence. Bobby Gritch, 1967. 1974, Rich Dower. So that's 7 years in between Gritch in 67, Dower in 74. No other Oriole first-round pick was did anything notab notable in the big leagues. From 74, you have to go and note this, again, about pitching versus position players because the position player record is absolutely horrific. In 1988, so from 74 to 88, that's 14 drafts, they didn't have a number one player that stuck. Greg Olson. Uh, in 88, 89, Ben McDonald, 1990, Mike Mussina, Jeffrey Hammonds in 92, Jason Wirth, who became a really good player, was drafted by Pat Gillick, traded immediately upon Sid Thrift taking over the organization. Sid was a nice, affable guy, 
just an absolutely, at least in his later years, a terrible uh, steward of the of the Baltimore Orioles. Traded Jason Worth for John Bale, and then they turned around and traded Bale for Gary Matthews uh, Jr., uh, who did have one nice season with the Orioles. But um, it, Jason Worth, um, '97, Adam Lowen in '02. And you can't even really say Adam Lowen ever really did anything in the majors, but he was a name of note. But again, follow the pattern here. 92, Hammonds. 97, Worth. 03, Nick Markakis. 07, Matt Wieters. Then in 08, Brian Mattis. 10, Machado. 11, Bundy. 12, Gosman. Since Gosman, Stort, that's DJ Stort, who will most likely start uh, the season with the big club, Ryan Moundcastle, then um, Cody Sedlock, who has been a bust up until this point, and D.L. Hall, the most recent draft pick, was Grayson Rodriguez. So, again, you heard all those names. Which ones – and let's, let's leave the pitchers out of it for just a moment. Gritch in 67, Dower in 74, Hammonds in 92 – Worth in 97, but none of his fame was with the Orioles. Marcakis in 03, Mattis, uh, excuse me, Machado in 10. I think I've got one missing player here. I think Brian Roberts may have been a number one pick in that year that Tony DeMacio had like five number one picks, which was really a year that didn't help the Orioles. So the Orioles have had just a really dismal, dismal record in player development overall, and especially making use of, um, of number one picks. They've had 54 first-round picks from 65 to 2018, and there you have it. Gritch, Dower, Hammonds, Markakis, Weeders, that's three, four, five. Machado is six. Six out of 54 uh, picks were decent position players in 54 years. And you wonder why the Orioles have been sort of a roller coaster ride since last winning their World Series in 1983. Remember, uh, through that World Series, um, the Orioles used to draft a lot of decent players. And, uh, you know, Cal Ripken was not a first-round – or was he a first-round? He wasn't the first pick. Uh, but Cal Ripken, uh, Eddie Murray they developed. But an awful lot of player development was really scant and just absolutely awful. And those names as scouting directors of the Baltimore Orioles, Tommy Giordano – Fred Yulman Sr., John Barr, Gary Nichols, Tony DeMacio, Joe Jordan, and Gary Rasich. All solid, you know, for, for the most part, deemed solid baseball people, okay? I've worked in, in the business for 30, 40 years, most of them. And yet their tenure as uh, scouting directors with the Baltimore Orioles really very poor indeed. All right. So that's what we have on the docket for the show this morning. Jim Henneman joins us in about five minutes. Brian Sinkoff to talk about Mike Messina. Mike Shallon will talk a whole host of baseball topics with uh, Mike. Most notably, what the Red Sox are doing 
with an eye to improving their bullpen. Um, the Red Sox are really very, very interesting. I especially found it interesting this week that with a team that has Heath Hembry, Ryan Brazier, uh, Tyler Thornburg, and a couple other uh, sort of unknown arms, and granted some of them pitched very well during the uh, postseason, I mean, maybe there's some notion that um, um, Dave Dombrowski is going to spring Nathan Evaldi in as the closer for this team. But for a team that won the World Series, a team that will have a payroll uh, over the $190 million mark this year, it's just hard to, to conceive of what they are doing, not having even picked up someone like Brad Brock, um, you know, these second banana guys that could have an upside to be the closer. Now, you could say, well, if they were going to go do that, then they've got the second banana guys in Heath Hembry, but they've lost Joe Kelly, and apparently they have no designs on re-signing Craig Kimbrell unless he maybe falls in their lap at a one-year, 11 or $12 million contract. Um, he's been, obviously, the one player most um, – most disconnected with reality this offseason has been Craig Kimbrell. Started off wanting a, over $100 million over six years. Uh, that quickly dropped to like $80 million, and right now he has no contract. He has $0. But getting what the head-scratcher was this year to me, this week to me, was the um, Arizona Diamondbacks signed – uh, Greg Holland, former closer with the um, uh, Kansas City Royals, he had uh, the I think Tommy John surgery, then came back and pitched for the Rockies, and most notably this past season he was with the St. Louis Cardinals. They signed him in the middle of March, and he flamed out terribly this past year, but then resurfaced in June or July with the Nationals and looked to be the guy he was before. The Diamondbacks are paying him $3.5 million plus uh, another $1 or $2 million in some incentives. Uh, but very strange that the Boston Red Sox would not have had the appetite for Greg Holland at that price. What they're going to do with the, um, with the uh, uh, closer position, one can only guess. All right, joining us right now is an uh, old friend, Longtime baseball writer extraordinaire in the Baltimore marketplace, a Hall of Fame voter, and he is my friend Jim Henneman. Jim, how are you, my friend? Good morning, Stan. I'm good, thanks. Uh, first of all, Jim, you had your vote as you've had all along in um, in this year's Hall of Fame. Was Mike Messina one of your votes? Oh yes, yeah, he was one of my votes from the from the from the get go. I never. Uh... You know, there was never any quarrel there. Uh, I thought he was, uh, his qualifications were, to me, were, you know, stood out from the get-go. I, I didn't, uh, Jim, no, no hesitation whatsoever. Jim, would you have been more surprised if it took, if you knew it was going to take six years for him to get in or it, or he had gone in the first year? Would you have been more surprised at the former or the latter? Uh Actually, I guess probably I'm more surprised that it took uh, six years. But I, I, after the first year, 
you you can't have a clue. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, people, you, you don't understand sometimes how people can jump. You know, you can start out at as low as he did, around 20%, I believe it was. But the ballot being what it was when uh, when he came on, yeah, you you, you could kind of see it. And, and there were some, you know, there, there were some... Uh, comp- I don't want to say competition, but like he and Schilling were kind of in the thing. To me, he was always a notch above Schilling, I, based on I mean, his. I thought his overall career was was better than Schilling's. Uh, Schilling had the, had postseason numbers that uh, uh, you know that, that couldn't be denied, really. Uh, and you know, I wasn't. Schilling was not always on my ballot. He was this. He was this mm-hmm. time around. Uh, and and we'll be you know and we'll be going forward. But I I always had Musina a step ahead of him. I actually thought this year that the the, the thrust for Halliday, and frankly you know Halliday was one that I thought about a little bit because the two hundred and three wins I know wins are not what they used to be in in the new in the new era. But uh, you know I I had some questions. Uh, with his numbers, and I, but I did think it was pretty obvious that uh, that he had some strong support, and I, I thought I thought that him coming on the ballot was going would actually help Musina, and on theory it looked like it did, but in going back and looking at the uh, at the tracker, uh, there actually were uh, thirty seven people that voted. I think it was thirty seven people that voted for Halliday did not vote for Musina. Whereas right. it was only nine the other way around, which I found kind of interesting. We're talking with Jim Henneman, longtime baseball writer extraordinaire. Jim, one of the one of the things that really stood out to me with Mike Mussina is, and again, I I always leave room for a little mathematical error because math wasn't my strong point. But the ten years he pitched for the Orioles, the club had a five eleven winning percentage. And Mike's was 645. I know all the talk in modern metrics and analytics now is that wins don't mean anything. But doesn't a winning percentage that so supersedes your team's winning percentage say something about how you are as a pitcher? Well, first of all, they'll, they'll never convince me that wins don't mean anything. Yeah, um, you and I are going to be people. There are going to be people that are going to be out there on the win more often than other people, and and that's going to mean something. I, no matter how they want to, uh, no matter how they want to go about it, um, that it's always always going to be a factor. So, uh, yeah. And if you if you want to do the individual thing, that's one thing. But you can always just use a team record when you're out there. I yeah. mean, I you know I, I always take a look at that too. I mean, the, how many games you started. Um, and uh, you know how many, how many starts did you make, and how many went, and uh, how many that did your team do in the games you started? So yeah, there, there's a lot of different ways. I mean, there's a lot of great metrics that tell you how effective a guy is: strikeouts to walks, hits, and in innings pitched, and those kind of things. They're all they've always been factors. I mean, I uh, I think a lot of people think that they're they're newfound statistics, but they're not. I mean, they're what they call WHIP now. I mean, back in the day. You know, I might have referred to them as as rip because I would yep. just said runners and runners per innings, and and interestingly enough, uh, walks and hits for any any fish. They don't count hit batters for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I never quite really understood that, but 
so there, there's all kinds of little idiosyncrasies with the with the stats, and and they're for the most part they're good guidelines. I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, and they they tell us that uh, that great players are great, and real good players are real good. Jim Henneman is our guest. Jim, um, before we wrap up, um, Musina, got to ask you the hometown question here in Baltimore. I don't think New York fans would have cared one iota if Mike Musina went in with an Oriole cap, uh, but Oriole fans would have really somehow felt it a slight had Mike chosen the Yankees. Between the Hall of Fame and Mike Musina, he's decided to go in logoless uh, with his cap, which to me – Makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, the New York Baltimore thing wouldn't wouldn't have made a uh, wouldn't, wouldn't have made an ounce of difference in New York, but it would have made a lot of difference here, a lot of difference here. So I, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. And uh, we, you know, I don't even think that's something that that's even even that you even have to debate to be honest with you. And I don't really think the blank hat probably probably bothers a few people, but. You know, it's it's kind of hard. The, the career was pretty close to evenly divided. I think that, you know, the, the better part of the career was here. Uh, you know, I mean, I still go back to the the stupid bean brawl thing that, that when he got hurt and he would have he would have won twenty games and maybe a Cy Young before he ever left here, and that would have erased a lot of doubts. But that's water over the dam, as they say. Yeah. You know, uh, there was a reason Earl Weaver was a pretty smart manager, and that was one of his adages, because in that fight, Mucina got hurt, and Cal Ripken nearly yeah. lost his uh, his consecutive game streak three years in advance of uh, breaking yeah. the record. Yeah, well, we didn't really find out about that until later, but yep. but Mucina, we found out right away. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was that, that was... Well, I'm, you know, I'm without blaming anybody for it, but it, it was a stupid thing to get involved with. Yeah. Well, Chris Passio started it, and I think Rick Sutcliffe got in Mike's ear and said, you got to stand up for our guys, and uh, the rest is history. Um, so that brings me back, the local question brings me back to whether or not you think, I'm not going to ask you to predict what John and Lewis will do, but just if you had your uh, a chance to talk to them, would you say it makes sense to add Musina out to the statue park out in out in center field? Well, you know, I don't. I don't know. I I I, I kind of defer to them on that. I mean, I I think it's a little bit. You know, the only statue out there that you know, French statue, is the only one out there, Roy, really, that uh, is not you know solely tied to to the, the Orioles. Orioles. Yep. Um, and I don't think there's any question that. Uh, you know that his career. You know, I mean, his, his Frank's whole thing here, you know, was tied in with the success of the club and stuff. So I think he's a different situation. I, I think the statue thing. I don't. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of statues out there. I mean, I think there's. Yeah. You know, there, I think that's going to be a reserved. And I, you know, I, I don't have any problem. I mean, I wouldn't have any problem either way. Frankly, it'd be like the hat. But yep. uh, I, I would, I would be a little surprised. If, if, I would uh, be a little surprised. It would probably be my opinion that I'd like to see it, partly because, you know, when you finish up Ripken's career, wh- who would the next guy be? If you don't do Musina, you'd probably have a 30-, 40-year absence of, of doing well, anybody. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. When you put those things up, uh, you know, the, I mean, the good thing was when they did that in 2012, yep. uh, it, it wasn't a – 
a tough decision, and 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 there wasn't a whole lot on the horizon. So uh, yeah, there really wasn't anything on the horizon. So uh, I can, I can understand it was a good touch, but at at some point, uh, hey, you know what? It's kind of like getting into the Hall of Fame. Yep, <laughs> it's it's a it's rarefied air. No question. Yeah, somewhere along the line, you know, you got you'll you have to draw the line. Hey, Jim, uh, one of the the benefits of having done that when Peter Angelos did do it, and he's criticized a lot, but I think everybody loved these statue ceremonies, was that all of the Hall of Famers, all of the retired numbers in club history were alive and able to be there. Uh, We've now found out this week we lost Earl Weaver, which I can't believe. It seemed like it was a year and a half ago. It's now been three years since Earl passed. Yeah. Uh, we, we've heard this week how sick Frank Robinson is. Our thoughts and prayers go out to Barbara and the family. Um, you, just your remembrances of, of Frank Robinson, the player slash competitor. Well, you know, my, my remembrances of Frank were, were, were twofold. I mean, I, you know, I think when he came here, I, I was kind of on the fringe of covering the Orioles then. I mean, I covered all their home games, but I didn't. I didn't do a lot of traveling with them. But uh, I got to know him uh, pretty well. And then those those years that I spent with the Bullets, I got to know him really well because uh, he was a, a big uh, a basketball fan. He was at he was at the games all the time. But um, I, I think that Frank. Uh, I think he came here with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, I think he came here, uh, you know, ready to prove something. I think he came here uh, a little uneasy about how he would be received. I think all those things played into it, and I I just think that the, that his the way he played the game, I just think set the tone for uh, for everything. Frank was a tough guy. I mean, he was a tough guy to get to know, uh, and I mean, I don't think that that was necessarily an accident. But uh, you know, he stayed pretty true to himself. I mean. Uh, in, in that regard, I mean, uh, as I said, he wasn't. Uh, it wasn't the easiest. Uh, uh, it wasn't the easiest to to understand. Maybe mm-hmm. the easiest to deal with. But uh, uh, you know, I mean, I loved the way he played the game and uh, respected the respected his. Uh, uh, you know, the way he was with his peers and 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 his uh, his enjoyment of uh, of other athletes too. So. Uh, uh, great competitor. I mean, a fierce competitor, as good a competitor as I guess I've probably ever seen. So, yeah, I, and I, this is not asked with any attempt to, to lessen anybody else. Is he the greatest player that ever put on an Oriole uniform? Well, I don't, I don't know whether he was the best player. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think he was the best player necessarily. I mean, you know, there's a few guys that went into the Hall of Fame, uh, and and you know, he he was only here six years. I yep. mean, let's not forget that and. Uh, uh, so, you know, whether he was the the best player or not, I don't know. I will say this. He was, uh, he, he absolutely squeezed the most out of, out of his ability that was there. I mean, he, and, and he had all the fame ability, but I mean, you know, he wasn't the same player here. I don't think that he was in Cincinnati. Now, I don't know that for a fact because I didn't see him in mm-hmm. Cincinnati, but uh, but he was, uh, you know, he was a good outfitter, not a great outfitter. He had, a, you know, with a good arm, he ran good, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, he didn't have great speed, but he was a great base runner. He was a great base runner. Yes. So, uh, those are the kind of things that, uh, you know, whether he was the best all around player, probably, yeah. he probably was, but you know, I mean, I, when I look at Eddie and Cal and 
some of these other guys have played, uh, you know, and the guy that's, you know, the guy that, I mean, ability-wise, uh, I mean, it's hard to find a guy with better ability than uh, than Manny. Uh, so, uh, but Manny's only here for a short period of time, too, so. Just want to let everyone know, we're responding to the news this week that Frank Robinson is very sick. Uh, nothing has happened. There's no new news on that front. But I did want to get Jim's opinion of Frank Robinson. One of the articles that you wrote for PressBoxOnline.com over the last 10 days or so, which uh, I haven't seen anybody else, and I'm always amazed, Jim, how you have still fresh and unique takes on on some things that I might read 30 people that write nobody's got as unique a take as Jim Henneman was uh, Mariano Rivera being 100% a lot of people wrote about that that it was uh, you know high time that it happened but you took the tact that of all the players in baseball history uh, in some ways one of the lesser important positions and not really a position an assignment was the one that got it done. No no Willie Mays, no Hank Aaron, no Roberto Clemente, Frank Robinson was a relief pitcher that got 100% of the vote. Well, frankly, Stan, up, up until the announcement of the thing, the thing, I really never thought it would happen. Uh, right. I, mean, I never thought there would be a unanimous uh, choice. And uh, and frankly, I, I, you know, I didn't really have any problem with it. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, uh, you know, there, there's always going to be somebody that's going to have a, Descending vote about something, but and I'm certainly not taking any away from from Rivera. I mean, he's the best there was at what he yep. did. But as you said, until until recently, that wasn't even a position. I mean, it was a it was a, you know, he was a relief pitcher, and uh, uh, you know who who played over a hundred innings in the season only twice in his career. Now, having said that, he did he did all those things better than anybody's ever done it, and probably you know in our lifetime better than anybody ever will. But yeah, I just I just found it a touch of irony that uh, that that a guy like that would be the first unanimous guy. I, mean, I probably shouldn't have been completely surprised because uh, you know they have they have whittled down the uh, the voting a little bit, and there was and at least one of the guys there was at least one writer who said that he would abstain from voting. He's not a believer in the closing in closers. I didn't believe Closer belonged in the Hall of Fame. He wasn't going to uh, cast a vote just because he didn't want to be the only guy not to vote for Rivera. Well, as it turned out, he he changed his mind and he did vote and he did vote for Rivera. So uh, it just goes to show you people can change their mind, I guess. Jim, I, I've got to ask you, you know, and, and the guys I'm talking about were probably your seniors at the time, but you were around the baseball writers. I mean, enough of them, not every voter. But it's just hard to imagine when you think about it that Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, and and I'm leaving off the, the greatest, arguably the greatest hitter of all time, Ted Williams or a Joe DiMaggio, weren't 100%. Did you ever f- find that people had decent rationales for that? The, well, 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 the first rationale was, it was that it took – I'm going to say it took 50 years or close to 50 years uh, to to catch up. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you, those, you had when so many people, it, you had so many they, people in the pool. Right when yeah. they first started it, they, everybody was eligible. Right. You know, there was no holes barred. I mean, you could vote for anybody, and uh, and there probably was, uh, 
you know, there probably was like like 200 people around. I think the voting time at the time was probably around 200 people. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you needed, you know, I mean, you needed, what, 150 out of, out of, out of 200, 75 yeah. out of every 100. So, um, it, you know, when you're, when all those names you're talking about, uh, I mean, some were still playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you know, the, the fact that they only were able to get five, you know, tells you, you know, uh, and of course the, the other thing was the limit of 10 and, and limiting it to a number, but there's a, there's a big move on now to, to increase that number. But, you know, that's what makes it a hall of fame. That's what makes it tough. I mean, right. uh, you know, so, and, and then also in like with DiMaggio, I think DiMaggio was actually on three ballots before he went in, but, but you but there was also a period of time when they didn't they didn't vote every year. They would vote every other year. There was a couple of years there where they I did not know where yep. they adjusted the voting. So most of that was was just it was just numbers. And then there was a feeling with some the, the first ballot thing was a was a big item. There were a lot of guys that said, okay, that's how they separated Hall of Famers. I'm going to separate the Hall of Famers. I think this guy's a Hall of Famer, but he's not as good as so and so. So-and-so deserved to win in his first spot. I do think there was some of that. Yeah. Um, and even, I, mean, I used the line, some of the that I think maybe now this unanimous thing, now that it's been broken, maybe that will supplant the old first ballot uh, prejudices. But it it really isn't, it, it isn't easy. And, and I'll give you, I think, a really good example. And not that, not that I feel like Harold Baines needs any defense, but I'll, I'll, I'll give him, I'll give you an explanation of things. Howard, Howard Baines was, was on the ballot for five, five years mm-hmm. before he fell off the ballot for not getting at least 5% of the vote. In the five years that he was on the ballot, there were 15 other players who ultimately went into the Hall of Fame who were on the ballot. And every year, there was at least eight of them. So mm-hmm. that means, and, and I was one of the ones that voted for, for Harold, and I'll be honest with you, one of the reasons I did was because I thought he was deserving of staying on the ballot at least long enough to get sufficient exposure and have his numbers looked at a little, a little more closely. And uh, so if you look at the fact that, that every time he was on the ballot, there were eight guys who obviously were Hall of Fame worthy because they're in the Hall of Fame. I mean, in each year there was eight of them. So even if you, you know, even if you thought maybe Harold would be nine or ten on your list, so... Uh, so that you know, that's at least an explanation of, of what yeah. what can happen in situations like that. And I think there's going to be more of those. I mean, yeah. there's the more I look at the uh, at some of the, uh, some of the uh, the numbers that are out there right now, there's going to be more guys that uh, that have low numbers that are ultimately are going to get into the veterans unit because, frankly, the the one thing they found out about the Hall of Fame is that the is that the era now today's era, the modern era, whatever you want to call it, is underrepresented and uh they're finding that out as as we go on and and it's 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 a tough it's a tough vote and it's it's a tough uh it's a tough sorority to get there for a fraternity to get into sorority that's good <laughs> hey jimmy we really appreciate your coming on and spending some time with us when are you heading down to florida oh i don't know it's a little bit you know, sometime before, by the end of the month, by the time they start playing, I hope. All right. But we'll see. All right. Nothing, nothing, nothing's written in snow. I understand no. that. All right. Jimmy, thanks a million. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Sam. All right. There you have it. One of the best 
baseball writers still around, Jim Henneman. Uh, when we return, Brian Sinkoff, um, who uh, somebody I've known since he was a score updater of mine back in the mid-'90s when I was over on the dial at WCBM. We are up and running on Facebook Live, so please get there and like the broadcast and share the broadcast. We need to build up our numbers because we missed the first 10, 12 minutes of the show on Facebook Live. We're there at Facebook Live slash Pressbox Sports. We will, excuse me, it's not Facebook, it's Facebook Live at Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports. Yes. Right, Brett? Yes. I said Facebook Live. All right. Facebook Live by going to Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports. Sync off with us in just a couple. Right now, i got to tell you about Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A on Sundays? That's a question. Well, if you want your Chick-fil-A tray for the Super Bowl tomorrow, uh, I should have said the big game. I apologize. Uh, with Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Make all your events remarkable with a Chick-fil-A catering tray. They're perfect for tailgating, birthdays, or office parties. That's Chick-fil-A. And while I've got you, I'm going to tell you about Big Bats. That's right. Let's talk about Ken Island's original sports bar. My friend Steve Garland, uh, the owner of Big Bats, located 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville, Maryland, on the way down or back to and from the eastern shore. There's no place better to stop, relax, and eat. It's a great place to watch the O's, Nats, Wizards, Caps, and sample the best bar grub around, sandwiches, salads, soups, and subs. And I also want to throw in the caveat that Steve Garland has supported our 100-block charity pool uh, brought to you by Chesapeake Urology. He's been in it every single year that we've done it. We're really appreciative of that, and Steve is in it again. Um, if you want to follow that, you can go to uh, our website and type in 100-block uh, charity pool, and you'll be able to see the grid and see all the great sponsors and friends of ours and who they're playing for for charity and what their numbers are in the 100-block charity pool. We're going to take a time out when we get back. Brian Sinkoff to join us. Don't forget, Ben Reiter, R-E-I-T-E-R, Sports Illustrated writer and the author of Astro Ball, joins us at 1120. One-third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. What a sweet time to see our friend Steve at his Chick-fil-A restaurant in Nottingham Square. The chocolate milkshakes are the way they should be at Chick-fil-A, thick and chocolatey. But so is the peppermint chocolate chip milkshake, thick, chocolatey, and pepperminty. The strawberry milkshake is thick and very strawberry-y like it's supposed to be. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square also has frosted coffee and ice-cold vanilla shakes. Plus, there's a cookies and cream milkshake. Cookies and cream! The Chick-fil-A sandwich is the best. The 
waffle fries are amazing. And at Steve's Chick-fil-A in Nottingham Square, his folks come around to check on you if you dine in. They refilled my drink for nothing the last time I was there. Do not leave hungry. Top off your next meal at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square with something sweet, shakes, cones, and cookies, all done the way you'd expect from Chick-fil-A perfectly. Join Chick-fil-A 1 and score points every time you order for free stuff. Our Chick-fil-A is on Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Pressbox's annual Best of Baltimore Sports Double Issue is now available. Presented by Maryland Sports Commission. This issue recognizes U.M. NBC Basketball's Ryan Odom and Jarris Lyles is our local sportspersons of the year. Plus, 60 more are in the spotlight as we look at the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. This is former Terp AJ Francis just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from I the Baltimore can't... Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo, Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled uh... in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy Y2AJ here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. Multitask here. And before I introduce um, uh, my friend Brian Sinkoff, I'm trying to get one last thing up here. Hold on. And I spelled, of course I spelled Facebook wrong. Facebook.com slash press box sports and i know i'm on the air all right that's terrible asking everybody that uh, joins us at facebook live and you can join us uh, each and every saturday during this time slot or ken zalis same time slot on sunday mornings with the fantasy and reality football show and monday through friday glenn clark from 10 to 12 by going to facebook.com slash press box sports want to remind everybody that ben Ryder the author of Astro Ball, uh, The New Way to Win It All. He joins us at 1120, Sports Illustrated writer, Ben Reiter, R-E-I-T-E-R. Joining us now is an old friend of mine, and at this point in my life, when I say old, I mean probably 20-plus years. Uh, Brian Sinkoff used to do sports updates on my show, The Sports Exchange, over on WCBM. And he joins us now from uh, up near Albany, New York, where he's an award-winning real estate agent for CM Fox. How are you, Brian Sinkoff? 
Stan, how are you? Always good to talk to you, my dear old friend. Yes, we are. We're dear old friends. And uh, first of all, you've got a lovely wife and child. Tell us a little bit about what you do up in uh, Albany, New York. I want to give you a chance in case somebody in our vast listening or watching audience needs a home near Albany, New York. Well, I, I will I'll preface it with this. If you, you know, even if you're looking in Maryland I can, and you don't have a real estate agent, that's My a good point. Yeah. Network of realtors could could certainly find to somebody, no problem. But yeah, I'm a I'm a real estate agent with CM Fox. I'm right here in Albany. I've been doing real estate for eight years full time. Do my wife uh, and I've been married since 2005. My son is Zach is 10 years old. It's unbelievable. He's a fifth that he's grader. 10. Yep, and um, you know just. Just living the dream, Stan. I still have my hand in in the sports world. I I do some freelance work for Spectrum Sports, which is a local cable outfit around here. They do some local sports, and so I still do that a little bit. Um, and obviously, my love for sports runs very deep. No question Charm about City. it. Charm City always has a special place in my heart. I'm a huge Orioles fan. Having grown up though in Silver Spring, Maryland, I hate to say this, I'm a I'm a Redskin fan. I understand um, that. I understand but, that. But, you know, Orioles, a lot of my buddies that still live in, in the D.C. area have disowned the Orioles and have become Nationals fans, but so, that is not me at all. So I know this show is the bat around and we talk uh, baseball only normally, but yes. a couple couple other sports questions. Number one, we both watched uh, Wisconsin uh, snatched that game away from Maryland gradually <laughs> in the last 10 minutes of the game. Uh, I tweeted out that, uh, and the Terps crumble in crunch time. Sadly, no surprise here. Uh, your thoughts on uh, the Mark Turgeon-led Terps? Um, well, Stan, I have um, been on Facebook about this for the last six years. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I you know, initially you give him a chance to let him have his program and see what he can do. And he's just, he's a terrible game coach. He's just not good. The team, they, they, they don't run. And I tweeted something out as well yesterday. They don't run plays. Um, when they, they don't adjust, make adjustments. They don't have a game plan. Um, when they, you know, when, when, when adversity strikes, there's no one that can step up. He doesn't know how to take timeouts. I mean, and, you know, for all of his recruiting prowess, and everybody says that he's this great recruiter, you know, everybody that's left Maryland in terms of the couple that have gone to the NBA have become better in the NBA than they were ever at Maryland. Um, so, you know, I think his recruiting's a little overhyped. I mean, he okay, he gets some good players. Yep. but Maryland, know, should, Maryland that, should get good players in baseball. Well, they have the best facilities, and, you know, look at their facilities. Yeah. But, I mean... Let's let's look at the team he had. Was it fifteen, sixteen, where they had literally five potential players with Mello and and all of those guys, and you know they couldn't get past the Sweet Sixteen. He's just, as I've said about Turgeon, he can beat the teams. He's just more talented than. But when you get to a when you get to an opponent that has equal talent and a better coach, he's going to lose ninety percent of the proof is in the pudding. Yep. He has not won a road game against the ranked team since he's been at Maryland. Wow. Wow. That's and, unbelievable. And they had, How and did they he had, have a gig? They had a pretty good chance of doing that last night. Um, well, let's t- let's let's move on to the Redskins sure. for a second. Uh, sure. Ravens, it's clear that Joe Flacco is not going to be back in Baltimore. Is he a potential fit 35 miles down the road in Washington? 
Well, with the Alex injury, Smith, with the injury to Alex Smith. Yeah, Alex Smith's never playing again. Yeah. And if the Redskins tell you otherwise, they're being they're just smoking mirror jobbing you. Right. Um, you know, you know better than me. How old is Flacco in his thirties? Right. He's thirty-two right now. He'll probably be thirty-three uh, going into next season. I'm not talking about him as the long-term answer no. there, but for a two, but for stuff, two years. Yeah. For two years, he might be about as good as you could hope they could get. Yeah, I'm not sold with Colt McCoy. Um, uh, he's a backup for... Yeah. I mean, Joe's better um, than that. He, Joe's, Joe's, you know, while he's never been a top-five quarterback, he's clearly a top-16, 17. And when you're where the Redskins are right now and you put a good defense around them and a, a running game, maybe he could help you for two years. Well, you know, I am so disgruntled with the Redskins stand. It's, it, we have the worst owner in all of sports. Yeah. Um, I, I just, and Ravens fans will love this. I, I just, I, I don't even care about them anymore. I, I understand. I just yeah. have total apathy. Well, the, the waiting list, the them. waiting list no longer exists. I mean, uh, he's, no. he's single handedly destroyed the franchise. There's no question about it. It's a joke. It. And, yeah. you know, and it's like, uh, there's so much to talk about with this team, but. You know, you know they don't have a they don't have a um, they don't have any wide receivers. Their offensive line is eh. finally have a defensive line. Um, you know they just don't. You know Gruden is what he is, and I, for the longest time I wanted him fired. But then you start thinking about it, you peel away the banana, and you're like, who are you going to get that's better? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. nobody wants to go there. You know, it's, it's yeah, nobody. They, wants to they, play for they're the about they're about at the level they they figure to be, and I think given all those things, I think Flacco for two years makes a lot of sense. Let's move to the game tomorrow before we swing back to baseball because we got about eight yep. or nine minutes. Uh, the yep. game tomorrow, the Patriots have uh, wrestled the point spread lead away from the Rams. The Rams were initially installed as like a point or point and a half favorite. The Patriots have now, for ten days, been two and a half point favorites. How do you see the game going? Well, uh, I, you know, it's hard for me to bet against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick with two weeks to prepare. Um, they've been there; the Rams haven't, and that says a lot in terms of routine and, and how the Super Bowl week plays out. And you know, the Patriots are pretty unflappable. Um, you know, one thing that concerns me with the Rams is, you know, I'm not sure C.J. Anderson, the bowling ball of a running back, you know, he's been he's been pulling a David Blaine magic show in the last few weeks with how good he's been. You know, there's a reason the Rams have been that good, and it's been Todd Gurley. And Todd Gurley has not been himself for a month. Um, that's a bit of a concern to me. And I, I just, well, he was I, pre- I he was pretty darn good in the the last playoff game. Well, he only who Gurley or CJ? Todd Gurley. No, Gurley barely. Gurley, Gurley had a, like look at his stats. He did not play very much. It was. Wait a minute, maybe I'm. Uh, wait a minute, they've played two games, right? Who did they? Yeah. Who did they beat the week before? Yeah. He had one. He had one. Yeah. He had like four carries well, for a touchdown in the last yeah. game. Well, he's a guy that uh, it's clearly uh, it's clear that they've over well, they've overused him, you know. Yeah. And and they gave I, him they gave him the middle of the month of December off, and that's when they really struggled. Uh, right. And I, I think he plays a big game tomorrow. I really do. I, I, you hope if you're you're rooting for the Rams, but it's just I, I think it's going to be. I, I got thirty one twenty four Patriots. 
Okay. Um, That's about what I have it the other way. I, I think the Rams are going to win the game. I think the key is going to be Ndamukong Sue and uh, Aaron Donald, whether or not the Patriots can keep them at bay. They've got to figure something out because if they get to Brady, they will not just put him down. They'll punish him. Well, I'm telling you right now, mark it down. The Patriots are going to run tomorrow a lot. Okay. That, that just, makes a lot of sense. It does to me. They're, they're going to run, and, you're, you know, as we see in every Super Bowl, there'll be one dude we never heard of, we never thought about, that'll have a big game. Yeah. Gary Stein's predicting it's going to be James White. We'll see. Hey, I wanted to have the main reason I wanted to have you on, and I tried to have you last week because we were doing our all Mike Mucina show. But I yep. saw you uh, on some uh, Facebook feed. You put in here my favorite Oriole of all time, and I wanted to ask somebody why Mike was their favorite player. He was, first of all, he was just such a cerebral pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, graduated from Stanford in three years and didn't mind telling you about it, by the way. Right. Um, right. Um, just, you know, he was he was a pitcher that just would outthink you. And, you know, it, it was before analytics and all that other stuff. I got a feeling Mike Messina was doing his own sort of analytics. Um, and I, I just, I, he was, you know, you, you put Messina on the mound, seven minutes. Every game. Um, he was winning, you know, 18 games a year. His ERA was, you know, in the mid-threes or whatever. And I'm just kind of rough, roughing these stats. But he just was so good. He was so dominant. He just was, you know, you'd love the Orioles to have a pitcher like that right now. Obviously, I don't mean Hall of Famer, of course. I just mean a guy you don't have to worry about yep. getting us to the seventh inning. Yeah. And I just always loved his game. I loved, you know, he wasn't the most warm and fuzzy dude off the um, off the mound, um, but I just loved his game. I, you know, obviously Cal Ripken is everyone's favorite. I love Cal. Don't get me wrong, um, but I, I just have always been a Mike Messina fan. I'm so happy he's in the Hall of Fame. It was great to great to to watch him for a lot of his career. And it's going to be very interesting to see what cap he wears in the hall. I have a feeling it's going to be the Orioles. No, it's been announced that he's going to be capless. It's going to be logoless, logoless. Was that recent, Stan? Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's about three, four days ago. So Roy Halladay, who had kind of the same type of career, didn't win as many games, but length of career, a little bit shorter but the breakdown between Toronto and Philadelphia very similar. His wife uh, opted to go logoless, and Mike Mussina is doing the same thing. And you and you know something for the player in the case of Mussina, who's still alive, very much alive. There's no benefit for him to pick one over the other. He didn't hate Baltimore and love New York. He liked both places. You know, right? Yeah, it's good. I mean, I'm I'm excited for him. Yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a huge Mussina fan. I'm uh, Cooperstown's only about an hour and a half from where I live. You're going to be there. You're going to, you might take I, your son there. I, I don't know if I'm going to go. It's, 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 it's very crowded. It's very um, crowded, but you got the benefit of being able to drive there and get home. Oh, you know, you don't have to yeah, stay overnight. A, yep. We can do it in a day, but you know, I kind of like going to the hall like now where it's not as crazy and it's just, you can have the run of the mill. By the way, my favorite, and I've been there a couple times. I want to just give this a, a little shout. My favorite part of the Hall of Fame 
um, is the giant display of baseball cards, Dan. Have you ever seen it? No, I have not. Oh, my God. I, as, huge, as huge a baseball fan as I am, I've only been there during the crowded times, so I never oh. really go into the Hall of Fame. So I've got, I've got to make a pilgrimage one Dan, of these and years. And you know yeah. what? When you go, when you, I'll come, call you and we'll go together. Because I, I got some connections there, and I will get us. I'll take care of us. All right. Um, tell me, tell me one more thing. Uh, your son is ten years old. First of all, I know he doesn't live in a big league town, but uh, tell us who does he like in sports oh. today. So you want to know who my son roots for? Well, son is is like his daddy, and he front, um, total roots. total front runner, right? No, he roots for the Orioles, right? Um, Redskins, Wizards, Caps, Caps, and Maryland. And is he there right now? He's here right now. Wow, that's amazing! That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Got to ask you one other question. I'm having Ben Ryder on in about 20 minutes, who wrote the book Astro Ball: The New yes. Way to Win It All. You told me uh, something I did not know. What's the farm club? The Astros Farm Club is right by you. Yes, we have the Tri-City Valley Cats. So they're the single-A affiliate, New York Penn League affiliate of the Astros. And when the Astros won the World Series a couple of years ago, I think five of the starting lineup, including Keuchel, all played here. You know, you're talking Altuve, Springer, um, Keuchel, J.D. Well, J.D. Martinez is obviously a Red Sox, sure. but he played here as well. Um, you came up through the Astros system. You know, we we had Hunter Pence here. We had Ben Zobrist here. Um, we had Musgrove here. I mean, tons of guys that played for the Valley Cats. But the neat thing about all of that is the um, uh, Zig was uh, Zig you know, the yeah, Zig yeah, the number two guy. Um, a few years ago, the Astros wanted to because he's a you know literally a rocket scientist, and I'm not yep. even being funny. Um, they wanted him to have a little more on-field experience, so to sort of learn the, the baseball from all angles, if you will. So they had um, they had uh, Mydell be a first base coach for the Valley Cats several years ago, and so he spent a whole season here in in the uh, Capital Region. Um, was the first base coach for the for the season, and, and obviously to beat some of the on-field stuff. So. He learned baseball not just in the classroom, if you will, not just in a in a lab, as it were, but learned baseball um, on the field. So he's so he's a guy who got to experience it a little bit and have a field trip, if you will. And I think that has been a um, that is really awesome what the Astros did. Look, I'm so excited about the Orioles. I, I, I'm you know, 115 lost team, and I can't stand. I said this to you yesterday on the phone. I kid you not. I am more excited about the Orioles' future than the Redskins. I hear you. I hear you, Mike Elias and uh, Sig Meidel. We've got to run I'm, now. I promise we'll yep. get you back in one uh, once the baseball season's underway. All right? Absolutely, Stan. Always uh, a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're a great guy. You gave me a um, you gave me a shot back in the day on your show, and I'm always grateful for you. And I know you're doing well. And say hi to everyone in Baltimore. And I miss it there. And, uh, you want me to even say hello to uh, Greg Share? Say hi to Greg. All right. And everyone at right. my old stomping grounds at Channel right. 13. Stay well, buddy. I'll talk to All you All right. Soon. We'll talk, Stan. Thanks for having me. Good. Bye. One of the good guys, Brian Sinkoff. Uh, we're going to make our connection with Mike Shallon of the uh, New Hampshire Union leader in just a second. Uh, Mike, uh, uh, a constant uh, 
a consistent contributor to the bat around on these Saturday mornings. And uh, if you are listening to the show right now or watching on Facebook Live, I've got to ask you to do me a favor and do the show a favor. Please like what you're watching and share what you're watching, okay? I notice we only have three shares, uh, and that's not enough. We need six to ten shares to really uh, build up that audience. So please take an extra second and like what you're watching, and, and maybe you don't like it. But do me a favor. Pretend you like it. Uh, click on uh, that and uh, no answer. Okay. Let's. Uh... Oh, brother. All right. Hold on, everybody. Hold your horses. I don't know why. Who knows? I'm, I may have transcribed a number incorrectly. All right. Uh, but please like what you're watching on Facebook Live and share it. Uh, that's what helps us build up our audience, all right? Reminder, Ben Ryder is going to join us at 1120. He's the author of Money Astroball, not Moneyball, Astroball, the new way to win it all. He joins us at 1120. And then Adam Pohl, broadcaster for the Bowie Bay Sox and six-week uh, father of a six-week-old daughter, Alexandra uh, Pohl, joins us. Uh, to talk about Gary Kendall being elevated to the managerial position at Norfolk AAA. Joining us right now is an old friend of mine, Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union Leader. How are you, Michael? Good morning, sir. How are you? All right. Have you got that job with Forbes yet? <laughs> still, still. I just, I just, I decided to buy the company. I just bought the company. Oh, you bought Forbes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. You sound like somebody else that fibs once in a while. <laughs> no. All right. All right. Um, hey, wanted to have you on as always uh, around this time of year. What did you What did you make of the Hall of Fame vote this year? Was anything particularly interesting above and beyond the fact that Mariana Rivera got a hundred percent of the votes? Well, I think a um, little bit, a little bit surprised that Clemens and Bonds didn't increase more than they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're on a they're on a collision course now. With um, they have three years left, and their their third and final year on the ballot is the first year of David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez. Okay, so that could be very interesting down the road. Um, Schilling increased, I guess, uh, a little bit. Um, Walker Walker you know, kept he sort of kept pace with where he needs to be, doesn't he? Well, I think. Um, you know the 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 one up upshot or or positive thing out of the um, Harold Baines catastrophe is that players like Walker will now have to be recognized for um, what they did. And let's be honest, you know Larry Walker was a better baseball player than Harold Baines, and there's a lot of guys who. And, and again, I don't want to take anything away from Harold because he was a very good player, a great guy, and all that kind of stuff. Yep. But He's not better than a lot of guys who are not in the hall. You know, there's there's the, the Richie Allens and the Dave Parkers and the Don Mattingly's and Keith Hernandez's. You can go up and down the list. And there's so many players who are just better players than Harold Baines. And I kind of feel bad for Harold because he's caught in the middle of all this. But I hope I hope he's able to enjoy his his uh, July yeah, celebration. I, I think he still will be able, and while, you know, it's a terrible offshoot of his his selection is that it's become controversial because the player himself 
doesn't really deserve that. No, he didn't campaign for this. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, he's out on the, on the trail stumping, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's one of the more, certainly one of the more unassuming uh, athletes you've ever been around. And, and as far as me, 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 it certainly was never about that with him. Um, you know, like I say, very good player, but, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's, the, the hall has become a little bit tainted now, you know, because guys are getting in that shouldn't be in, guys are not in that should be in. It's just, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a very tricky, it's a tricky situation yeah. to correct. Um, it is. Mariano Rivera getting a hundred percent of the vote shocked. Surprise! Jim Henneman wrote a great piece for our website about two mm-hmm. weeks ago saying that he's not surprised or anything or offended or upset. He just says, really, this is the guy that, that finally got 100% compared to players like Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Ted Williams. It's kind of... Well, let's, be, let, let's be fair now. So, somebody was going to have to sit down and not put Mariano's name, uh, not put a check next to Mariano's name. Right. And that's, that's what it came down to. And, and I mean, how do you do that? Yeah. Nobody Uh, had the gut, but, but I'm thinking back who had the guts not to vote for Ted Williams. Well, there were were curmudgeons back in the day, you know, um, who just thought that since Babe Ruth didn't get a hundred percent, that nobody nobody should. Right. 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 And I've, you know, I've seen some, I've seen some very strange, Voting over the years, there were two guys from two guys from New York. Uh, you know, I, I won't even mention names, but they, when Thurman Munson died, they 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 campaigned for immediate, uh, indu- you know, like the Clemente thing with right. uh, immediate induction or immediate vote. And four or five years later, both of them turned in blank ballots and did not even vote for Munson. So, right. um, you know, it's it's a quirky thing. Listen. We don't need to look very far to realize that strange things happen in elections, you know. And, yeah. and uh, um, you know, it's it's just I I thought you know my my buddy Bill Ballou up here in, in Massachusetts took you know took a lot of grief. He wrote a column that he wasn't uh, he's not a big save guy, so he didn't he didn't think that Mariano, you know, I I don't even remember what he said exactly, but he wasn't. He wasn't going to vote for Mariano, but he was. He wasn't going to vote, which would have kept the percentage at a hundred percent. And then, uh, and then I, I, I talked to him. We, you know, a lot of people talked to him. He said, "I said, how's how's the uh, the mail going?" He said, "Well, half the people, uh, half the people want to shoot me in the head, and the other fifty percent want me to shoot myself in the head." So uh, he eventually, eventually came around and voted for Rivera. The the fact that Mariano got a hundred percent, do you think automatically Derek Jeter is a hundred percent, or do you think there will be people that aren't afraid to say, uh, you know, he he's a Hall of Famer, but he, I don't see him as a hundred percenter. Well, see now you're saying two different things here. Again, somebody's got to have to sit down with the ballot in front of them, which mm-hmm. is which is a special thing for all of us. I don't think I don't think any any of us. Uh, you know, takes it takes it for granted. You know, it's uh, ever since I got my vote, it's been a family affair. With me. I have to call my brother as soon as the ballot comes, and we go over the we go over my ballot, and uh, I just can't imagine sitting down and not putting a check next to Derek Jeter's name. 
uh, I, I just, you know, it, it, it may well happen. You know, it may well happen that, that somebody decides, ah, you know, he wasn't that good defensively or, you, you know, he never gave good answers to the media, even though he's always cooperative. He never said anything. Um, you know, maybe maybe it'll happen. I don't know, but I, I have no I have no trouble at all. You know, I said to I said to Bill Ballou when when he wrote this this column for the Worcester Telegram. I said, you know, this this would have come across better had you done it with with Hoffman last year rather than looking like a Boston guy who's beaten up on a New York guy. And he said, no, he said, I just didn't feel Hoffman belonged. So, and I was on the fence, believe it or not, on, on Hoffman. I, I thought, you know, he was, he was an accumulator, if you will. Yeah. Uh, even though, even though the players feel totally different about that, but it's a flawed system. There's, there's really no way to fix the system. I think we just, we just have to live with it. And, and the closest thing you're going to get, to an impartial voting panel is us, is the writers, and and I, I hope uh, I hope the um, uh, the protocols. I hope I hope everything stays the way it is, and I believe it will. Are you a? Uh, uh, and I know your politics, and you and I are on a similar side of things. But are you a shilling voter? Yes, I am. Yeah, and I I I, uh, I took a lot of grief from. The, the conservative radio station, the, the Fox News of radio, the morning show here in town, because I punished Schilling for one year. Mm-hmm. And the reason I punished him for one year was that he collects Nazi memorabilia. Yep. And and you know the you know who the, the, their claim was who are you to say who what he can? I said <laughs> I, I I you know yeah. What if it would have been World War Two memory? I said okay, that's fine. Right. But I'm Jewish, and to me. You get, you know, this is, this yeah. is what happened with Mark Schott. Yep. If you want to collect Nazi memorabilia, I don't have to vote for you. Right. Now, I made it clear that it's a one-year suspension because I believe he belongs. Right. Now, Dan Shaughnessy, uh, who only voted for Mariano, who's the only one on his ballot, basically said that Kurt's uh, uh, conduct, his yep. post-player conduct, is keeping, is what's, uh, keeping him from voting for him. So... He's he's a um, he's certainly a polarizing guy, but you look you look at an eleven and two postseason record that I I once I once broke it down and it easily could have been fifteen or sixteen and one right um, that's too much for me to overlook I I applaud you for looking at big picture things uh, two players I want to ask you about that don't seem like they're on the path to getting there that I think deserve to be there are Jeff Kent and Billy Wagner. Where do you stand on those two guys? Well, I certainly think that Lee Smith opened the door for Wagner. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I um, as far as Kent, um, I think Kent's attitude toward the media probably and his association with Bonds probably didn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought, you know, I've come around on Kent. I voted for him this year. Uh, you know, I do, I do, I would like to see the rules change for the the. Uh, the five percent one and done thing, you know, because a, a guy like Berkman, who uh, uh, who had a great, he had like a over nine hundred OPS for his career, you know, got one point one percent of the vote, so he's done. I'd like to see that change to where you automatically get three shots. Now, the problem with that is that the ballot would be ridiculously crowded. Yeah, there'd be too many, there'd be so many guys. But you know, there's a guy like Posada. Posada was one and done. 
and he was better than that. Yep. You know, I mean, I don't think he belongs in the Hall of Fame, but he was better than that. Prasad is a guy, oddly enough, that I can see going in later on. You know, with almost like a Harold Baines. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I yeah. think that there are a lot of intangibles with Posada, you know, and and uh, uh, I didn't vote for him. Uh, I didn't vote for Baines. Baines ever got more than I think it was six point seven percent of the vote, yeah. or six point one percent of the vote. And uh, you know, you look at you look at Harold Baines. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you a comparison. Harold Baines for me was the great Veda Pinson, mm-hmm. who you know was in Frank Robinson's shadow in sure. Cincinnati. But you look at his numbers and his consistency over the years and his defense and all that stuff, he was a better baseball player than Harold Baines was, too. And uh, there's a lot of them, you know. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens now because what, they, what they've done with these committees is they've changed them every year. They're different, they have different titles every year yeah. and different voting panels. And it was just odd that Harold made it in and, and you know, four of the 16 people were directly connected to Harold Baines, you know, almost like the almost like it should have been a recusal thing. But you know what? It's baseball. It's fun. Who cares? Uh, yeah, let, let, the guy, let the guy have his weekend, and we'll all have a good time. Last question for you. i got about a minute, uh, Mike. Yeah. Uh, Dave Dombrowski, I saw that the Arizona Diamondbacks the other day signed Greg Holland to a one-year, three-and-a-half-million-dollar contract with, like, two million in possible incentives. Wouldn't that have been a perfect fit for Dave Dombrowski? Well, he went after me here. The, uh, yeah. you know, the, the next drug guy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I just, I think that they, they seem to be ready to roll with, with Matt Barnes and, yep. and the, the, the other collection of guys out there. I, yep. I don't know. To me, it's the wrong move. Um, yep. I would have, you know, I'm still not closing the door on Kimball mm-hmm. coming back there, but there's been a, you know, there's been a few guys. Look at, uh, I would have taken a shot at Cody Allen. Yep. You know? Oh yeah, just, definitely. Uh, yeah. You know, on the thought that maybe he just had a down year, you know, uh, without without Miller being around most of the year, with the up the upheaval with, with hands coming in and all that, you know, take a shot on him. So, I think that they seem to be um, they seem to be set on what they um, on what they want to do, and they have so much they have so much else as a well rounded team. You wonder if that could be what keeps them from repeating. All right, Mike Shallon, New Hampshire Union leader, official scorer at uh, an awful lot of Red Sox games and a friend of the batter rounds. We appreciate it, Mike. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Anytime. Thank Thank you. you. There you go, Mike Shallon. Time for me to tell you, and by the way, uh, Ben Ryder is up next. He's the author of Astro Ball, The New Way to Win It All. Uh, and we'll be joined by him after these words. Uh, the Costas Inn, located 4100 North Point Boulevard, is the place uh, to go around town. Craig Heist and I love the place, partly because we love the people. The Tree and Tafalos family will treat you right. The staff there, very professional. But let's make no mistake about it. When you go out to eat, you don't really want to go to family. You don't want a good staff. You're expecting those things. But the food, the quality of the food, the recipes they use, the care with which they cook, it's all there at the Costas Inn. Specials Monday through Friday. Um, what's it? Uh, crab cake night is Tuesday night. Rib night is Monday. Wednesday is steak. Thursday is lobster. You see how I did the Tuesday before the Monday? But Friday is a whole host of miscellaneous uh, specials uh, by Pete Triantafilos. Check them out. The phone number is 410-477-1975. Also, a great gift card to get 
for people, and you can do it right over the phone or go to costasin.com. Our children's futures start at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language, and Catholic faith, while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. Discover the Catholic school's difference. Please visit archbalt.org schools for more information. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dining orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. One third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. Chick-fil-A on Sundays? With Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Make all your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays. They're perfect for tailgating, birthdays, or office parties. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KOO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. And we are back on the bat around Stan the Fan. Uh, Craig Heist will be back next week and then misses three weeks in a row doing Nats Talk over on Masson Sports. Joining us right now is uh, the writer uh, from Sports Illustrated, and he's also authored the book Astro Ball, The New Way to Win It All, and Ben Ryder joins us right now. Ben, how are you? Good, Stan. Good morning. First of all, thank you very much for spending a little bit of time on a Saturday morning when I know you got a lot better things to do uh, than be on radio shows talking about your book. <laughs> well, you know, I'm happy to do it, Stan, especially um, in your market in Baltimore, where there are clearly a lot of things that could be learned from my book, I think, or at least a preview of what Orioles fans can expect over the next two, three, four, five years from the new leadership there. I'll tell you a funny anecdote. Do you know the name? Does the name Terry Virch mean anything to you? 
Um, I don't know if it does. Uh, he's lives. He's born outside of Baltimore in Columbia, Maryland. He's an astronaut. He's a U.S. astronaut. He reached out, and he lives in Houston. He reached out to a local personality here and said, you got to talk to Stan Charles and write. Uh, he said, I want to talk to Stan Charles. I want to write something for Pressbox uh, about these guys in Houston. This is in the summer of 2017. So we worked it out. I ended up having him on this show rather than having him write something. Uh, and he comes on, he says, you know, and this is before the Orioles had tanked under Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter. He says, you, the, the Orioles need to do what, what the Astros are doing. They need to hire two guys, Mike Elias and Sig Meidel. And he, <laughs> and he said it in this, the middle of the summer of 2017, and it was interesting. I had him on the show once Elias was named, and he, we weren't 100% sure Meidel was coming on. But it was interesting that he had sort of said that that's what the Orioles need to do. So my question for you is, why are these guys the right guys to conduct this sort of breakdown and start all over again? I mean, there's several reasons for it, Stan. You know, one is that they've actually gone through this process uh, not once but twice, really. Everybody knows about what they did in Houston because it was so extreme, rebuilding the worst baseball franchise in 50 years, really, um, into a champion. Uh, but they also had experience doing this in St. Louis. Now, the Cardinals, of course, never went through anything close to a rebuilding period like the Astros did. Uh, but Elias and Sig both were on the fly uh, part of the reimagining of the Cardinals organization as mm -hmm. a data-driven organization, uh, but one that crucially incorporates human gut instinct, human observation, the opinions of scouts and all that experience incorporates that information into all of the advanced, extremely advanced analytical work that they're doing to get the best out of both man and machine. You know, one thing that I kept noticing when Mike Elias's name was being mentioned for various GM jobs that were open uh, this winter is he kept being pegged as an analytics guy. Right, you know, not, a old, not a scout, an analytics right. guy. Right, there were the, yep. the old-fashioned uh, guy, the old-fashioned candidates, uh, and then there were the modern candidates like Mike Elias. People seem to overlook that Mike Elias, even though he went to Yale, he's a very smart guy, uh, he was himself a scout uh, with St. Louis for five years, driving around the Mid-Atlantic region, mm -hmm. driving around Florida, learning that side of the evaluation process as well. So really somebody who understands both silos, both the analytics and the old-fashioned scouting piece of it, uh, that's really what Mike Elias represents to me. And, of course, Sig Meidel um, is a, one of the best data minds in baseball, as he's shown for the past 15 years. Um, they're going to work together very well. Now, I'm, I'm about 110 pages into the book, and Joe Trezza, who uh, covers the Orioles now for MLB.com, big fan of the book, tells me that about at this point in time, the book really ends up focusing an awful lot on SIG. Would you characterize it that way? Um, I think, you know, when I was writing the book, I kind of saw SIG as almost like a stand-in for the reader. He's kind of our guide through okay. what can be some very complicated concepts, um, but he really, you know, he, he has a terrific life story. He was a blackjack dealer in Lake Tahoe. He worked for NASA. He didn't get into baseball until he was around 40 years old. So really his journey 
into this world is our journey, and he's just a very compelling character yep. and thinker as well. But look, Michael Elias is a big, big uh, role in the book as well. In particular, uh, his influence as far as the selection of the draft pick that really set them on the right path, the number one overall pick in 2012, which is Carlos Correa. Uh, we're talking with Ben Ryder. He's written the book Astro Ball, The New Way to Win It All. Have you seen an uptick, the fact that Elias is now a general manager and SIG has moved on to a high-profile position in Baltimore? Has that helped the sales of the book a little bit, Ben? I, would I think that it has, and I do see uh, a lot of people in Baltimore reading this to get an understanding of the direction in which their franchise is going. And I certainly think you will get that uh, from reading Astro Ball. Of course, you know, they'll be doing similar things, but it's now seven years later almost from when they joined Houston. So the game has evolved. Other teams have gotten a lot smarter about some of the things that the Astros were doing essentially in a vacuum uh, seven years ago. Of course, we're talking about the AL East, uh, not you know, the AL West, it's a different landscape there. Uh, and you wonder about the financial tools that will be at their disposal as well. So it's a different sort of challenge. Yep. But the baseline concepts that they use to completely turn around the Astros will certainly be the ones that they're building right at this very moment uh, over at Camden Yards. I had a half-hour sit-down the other day with Mike Elias because we're using that interview as the cover for our March issue of uh, Press Box, which is mm -hmm. a free publication here in Baltimore. And I asked him the question based on something I read early in the book, and it was how Jeff Lunau was so sensitive to scouting, you know, and scouts' take on analytics that he felt that he needed to introduce the analytics more gradually into the Astro organization than just come in like a bull in a china shop and start doing it the way he thought should be done. Uh, I asked Michael Elias the other day, is that necessary as much today as it was about eight years ago? What do you gather his answer to that was? I would guess he would say no. I guess he would say that, yes, you certainly have to be sensitive uh, that cultural change is always a process no matter where you are. But look, when L Luna was doing this in Houston, and particularly in St. Louis before that, yep. these were very new concepts. These were revolutionary concepts. They were somewhat untested, actually. Uh, so you had to be very careful about completely losing everybody in this organization who's trying to install these. Now they're time-tested. They're proven to work. So I would assume that the buy-in process should be a bit smoother. Uh, I guess that Elias said something along those lines. That's exactly how he answered the question. We're talking with Ben Ryder, the author of Astro Ball, The New Way to Win It All, Easiest Way to Tell Baltimore Baseball Fans, or any baseball fans listening or watching on Facebook Live, is to go to Amazon. That's the easiest way to order the book, and you can uh, pick up a copy and get it in time to read it for spring training. On page 109, and I happened to be reading this last night, I wanted to ask you about another uh, concept here. It says it, It's a paragraph that starts out, Lunau imagined that the Astros' string of 1-1s, meaning first-round number one picks, would likely end at three, meaning that going forward, they would no longer have their pick of the best player in the country. Compounding matters was that most of the Astros' rivals had improved their own 
drafting by incorporating types of analytics that had once given Lunau and Sig such an advantage in St. Louis. Are the have the um, opponents all caught up? And if so, is there still an edge to to having Sig on your side? Well, there's certainly an edge. Um, it's a it's a more and more marginal edge. You okay. know, when they were first applying analytics to the draft in St. Louis, you know, Sig promised that they could double their success rate just by using any sort of analytics whatsoever in concert with the scouting evaluations. And in fact, they did that. When Luno was in charge of the scouting department in St. Louis, um, they drafted more future big leaguers than any other organization. So clearly it worked. Now, almost every organization is at least has some level of sophistication, some extreme levels of sophistication about how to do that. Um, there's still ever more marginal advantages to be acquired, uh, but it's tougher. It's certainly harder than it was in the past. Sig says later in the book, you know, some days we long for the time when we were alone at the buffet. Right. Uh, they're, not, they're not alone anymore. That doesn't mean you can't keep pushing the envelope. And, of course, in the Orioles' case, um, it looks like, unless there's something very surprising that happens, that they will have several picks in a row right at the top of the draft, starting with the 1-1 uh, this year, when it seems like they'll have a very interesting decision to make, most likely between the high school shortstop Bobby Witt Jr. from Texas and the Oregon State switch-hitting catcher Adley Rutschman. So this is really the parallel with the Carlos Correa pick in 2012, and clearly Mike Elias uh, and Jeff Luno together and Sig absolutely nailed that one. It's really interesting, the Orioles, um, and look, Dan Duquette was sort of a Billy Bean or Theo Epstein when he was 31 or 32 years old, but uh, after a sort of checkered career, he was unable to clearly get Peter Angelos' buy-in on doing analytical stuff. Uh, we, we have this takeover here, but it's interesting, when the Orioles did sort of break things down at the second half of last year, traded Zach Britton to the Yankees, traded Brock and Gosman to the Atlanta Braves. All three of them at various times afterwards said they were kind of amazed at the information that those clubs had compared to the Orioles. It was sort of a ringing endorsement of the need to, to move in this direction. I think it's safe to say that the Orioles were laggards yeah. a little bit in the analytical revolution, and I know that that's what Elias and Sig are working very, very hard at this very moment, even though it's a Saturday, I'm sure they're doing it today, to bulk up and quickly catch up uh, on that side of things in the way that they know how to do. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised either if these new tools that the Orioles players will have that perhaps they hadn't had before mm -hmm. will lead to some improvements even on the big league level, even for a famously uh, struggling very well-paid first baseman slash DH, Chris Davis. Um, you know, there's a lot of tools as far as immediate improvements or at least pretty quick improvements that the new front office will be able to provide somebody like him. You know, in the old days, Ben, and we're talking with Ben Ryder, the uh, Sports Illustrated uh, writer who has authored the book Astro Ball, The New Way to Win It All, and I, I want to get into talking about that 2014 issue of Sports Illustrated that you did the cover story for in just a moment. But I, I did want to touch on the um, 
Uh, and now I lost my train of thought. I got into such a long-winded uh, explanation <laughs> of that that I got into it. Um, let's go back to that, and I'll, I'm sure I'll remember what it was I was talking about. 2014, Sports Illustrated in June, correct, of 2014, they're looking for what to put on the cover of that particular week's uh, Sports Illustrated. Can you tell us a little bit about how it came about that you had written a story predicting uh, the 2017 winner of the uh, World Series? Certainly. Well, I was drawn to what was going on down in Houston uh, by the fact that they were just so historically bad. You know, there'd never been a team, or there'd rarely been a team, for several years in a row that had been as awful as the Astros were. 106 losses, 107 losses, then 111 losses in 2013. So that's really what attracted me down there. What's going on down here? What's the plan down here? Is there a plan? Uh, reached out to the Astros kind of saying, look, I, I, I want to write about you. The only thing I can promise is I'm going to come in with an open mind, You know, give you a chance mm-hmm. to explain uh, what's going on down here to a national audience because they'd become a punchline. You know, they were being made fun of on Jeopardy. Their local TV ratings were 0.0, meaning that Nielsen couldn't verify that a single Houstonian had tuned in to some of their games. That's how bad it was. If I can can interrupt for one second, you know, what's fascinating about that is you think going as bad as things were that an awful lot of people in their positions would have said, nah, we're, we're really not ready to have this unleashed on the world it shows a certain level of confidence in what they <laughs> were really attempting don't lack to do for confidence yeah. Dan. Yeah. and i also think that that confidence extended to believing in the process that they were in the middle of very painfully installing mm-hmm. or executing down there and i think they thought look okay perhaps if we open up a little bit uh people will see that perhaps we have some idea of what we're doing so I was able to eventually negotiate really kind of unprecedented, recently anyway, access to their front office, sitting in on their pre-draft meetings with the whole front office and also guys like Nolan Ryan and Craig mm-hmm. Vigio in the room when they're talking about who they're going to pick number one overall, sitting in in their actual draft room, really embedding with this front office for several days. And I emerged genuinely believing in what they were doing. Mm-hmm. It sounded new to me, this blend of analytics with kind of old-fashioned sources of information. It was logical. They were clearly disciplined, clearly very smart. If you were really paying attention, they'd already had kind of started to build a nucleus that might turn into something. George Springer had recently come up. Altuve was there. Carlos Correa was in the minors. Um, I bought in. I believed mm-hmm. it. And I wrote 5,000 words explaining exactly why that was. Um, eventually... That story ended up on the cover of Sports Illustrated, even though it was initially like the fifth choice for that week. Um, the editor in chief of SI believed in the story too, and ended up putting it on the cover with this prediction that they would win the World Series in 2017. That certainly seemed very far fetched, if not infuriating, uh, to many of our readers. Um, clearly, it worked out pretty well. The the point that I was trying to get to that I forgot, and then I remembered was that the fact that the Astros under Lunau and Elias, and I'm wondering if this will come to pass, and Sig, I'm wondering whether it will come to pass. It seems like in the old days, the analytics would tell you who to go out and acquire in a trade, but it didn't tell you 
how to make that player better. The Astros, I look at Justin Verlander when they acquired him, all of a sudden he went back, it was like he went back in time eight years and was better than he had been in a long time. Garrett Cole went from striking out eight batters per nine innings to striking out 12 batters per nine innings. And a guy like Ryan Presley went from being an okay middle of the, you know, fifth, sixth inning guy to being a, a guy, a fairly high leverage guy. They, they somehow know how to make players better. I, I think you've hit on something uh, very important about their process and really a big part of the direction in which it's headed. And as you keep reading the book, um, I start to get into it. Uh, yes, it was largely at first about talent ID, right? Mm-hmm. Like identifying perhaps overlooked players in the draft or via trade who might have some qualities uh, that suggest that they could perform in the future better than they already were. The shift has really been towards uh, talent improvement, like performance enhancement in a natural way, using analytical tools uh, to allow players to get the best out of themselves. And part of that is that they identify players who have what they call a growth mindset, the willingness to work, the capacity to improve, and the drive and grit to do it day after day after day. But they also give them new tools to identify what they do well and figure out how to do that more often, uh, whether it's using technologies that can read the spin rate of their pitches and kind of tell them in, in bullpen sessions, like when you throw it like this, that's your most effective pitch. So how do we work with a coach to throw that pitch more and more and more often and effectively? Uh, that's really where the focus is now. Of course, it's still on continuing to improve their draft process and everything. Um, but if you ask people around the league, that's where they believe that the Astros right now have a real edge over virtually every other team in using modern tools to help their players get better. One quick question before we let you go, and that has to do with clearly, and by the way, in researching my interview with Mike Elias or researching Ford, I went back over the Orioles. The Orioles have been absolutely horrid, and this goes dates back way before Peter Angelos owned the team, through the last three owners, they've been terrible since 1965 at developing their own position players. But one of the things most recently that has come to pass is I think like a third of Major League players now are Latin American players, and I think 25% of superstars are Latin. A figure something like that. The Orioles have been essentially non-players in that market. Uh, that won't be the case under Mike Elias, will it? Oh, certainly not. Yeah. I mean, that's, I know that's one of the top priorities is to beef up, in fact, uh, kind of initiate their efforts in Latin America right away. You simply can't compete if you're not scouting and developing in that part of the world. I know Mike Elias has personally, as a scout and as an executive, spent a lot of time uh, in the Dominican Republic, of course, Carlos Correa came from Puerto Rico, uh, which is a different part of the scouting world as well. Uh, you, you're absolutely right to identify that as one of the absolute top focuses right off the bat for Michael Elias and Sigma Dell. Fairly, fairly good chance that Ben Ryder will be in Baltimore a few times this summer? <laughs> I'm sure I'll check in. I'm, I'm really fascinated to see how this story evolves, how these techniques 
will work um, when trying to when they're being implemented it when they're being implemented I should say um, in 2019 not in 2011 and 12 would be a fascinating story to follow I mean I think the good thing for everybody down in Baltimore is that there's genuine tried and tested reason to hope yep. and in fact you know even if the results won't come right away there will be players, young players, homegrown players that you can follow and that you'll be able to believe in and that you'll know are there for a very, very good reason. You know, it's interesting, and then I'll let you go. Um, we had a guest on an old a sports uh, score updater of mine who lives in the Albany area, and it was ironic. We were talking about he lives right by the Tri-City Valley Cats, and he was mm-hmm. telling me how many players – came through there, and that's where Sig went into uniform for a summer uh, there. Just very exciting times here in Baltimore. There are. Thanks for having me on, Stan. Is the name of the book going to be Bird Ball? Have you figured that out yet? (laughs) The sequel? Yeah. I don't know, Astros ball. I'm still working on it, but we, we got a little bit of time. Here. All right. Hey, I might reach out to you sometime. I got an interesting idea how maybe we can sell some books down here if you're coming down sometime. All right. <laughs> I'm always up for that. <laughs> All right. Ben Ryder, uh, Sports Illustrated writer and the author of Astro Ball. Many thanks, Ben. Thanks, Tim. All right. Uh, we're going to make our last connection of the day right now, and that will be with Mr. Adam Pohl. He's the broadcaster of the Bowie Bay Sox and uh, – also the father of a six-week-old baby girl, Alexandra, and we will have, uh, we will have him on in just a moment uh, to close things out on this uh, edition, this Craig Heistless edition of the Batter Round. And uh, if you enjoyed that interview with Ben Ryder, uh, please take your Facebook feed, and I ask you please to just uh, share it uh, we're not doing we're not doing great in the sharing business today. I'm very surprised, and I want that to uh, change. Let's see if we got an increase here. Ah, yes, we got an extra one. All right, please like and share the show. All right, no Adam Pole yet. His phone's being a little weird, so oh, I'm okay. gonna Did call he give him you back. a different number? All right. I can't even hear what he's saying, so okay. we're working on it. All right. Anyway, we'll have Adam Pohl on in just a moment. Uh, reminder that uh, tomorrow, Super Bowl Sunday, Ken Zalis and Sarita Hubbard and uh, Kyle Ottenheimer will be here for the um, for the um, fantasy and reality football show that comes on to- tomorrow morning from 10 to 12. And then uh, Glenn Clark back with a whole week of shows from 10 to 12, Monday through Friday. I'll be back on next Saturday along with Craig Heist uh, next Saturday, but then Craig has a couple weeks off, so we'll have to uh, scurry uh, to uh, get some uh, content for the show. Craig, always a big help, not only just being content on the show with myself, but also being uh, helping get the guests that will appear on the show. One other uh, note. After 518 shows of Inside Press Box on WMAR2, um, that's coming to an end. Tomorrow is the last edition of Inside Press Box. Gary Stein and I uh, bring you a couple good guests, um, Paul Canabene, the men's lacrosse coach at Stevenson University, and a high school wrestling coach who I think you'll want to meet, Wavy Gibson the third from Poly. Uh, high school, Polytechnic High 
in Baltimore here on Falls Road. All right. And then we say our goodbyes, a final uh, photo of the week. Brittany, you got a chance, and I know Adam's waiting for us. You got a chance, and I. it came about quickly that we decided to change gears but we appreciate your four or five weeks working on the show. Yeah, thank you. Got to co-produce with Matt Stovall, so that was a good time, and I enjoyed the time while the show was around. I I did as well, and uh, get one more chance to watch it. And all of the segments will remain uh, live uh, on our website at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, joining us right now, and I don't know which is more important right now, whether he's the play-by-play broadcaster for the Bowie Bay Sox or whether he's the father of six-week-old Alexandra Pohl. Uh, Adam Pohl joins us now. Adam, is it a 50-50 on which is more important, or is it already that Alexandra is about 100% to zero? That's more, though. What's that? I can tell you which one's keeping me up at night more. <laughs> <laughs> You're worrying about those Bay Sox all night long, aren't you? <laughs> hey, we got we got some good news, and I know you've got the chance to cover them for several years down there in Bowie. Yes. Uh, Gary Kendall, a good man. By the way, unavailable today. We'll try and make our connection with him uh, next week or the week after to have him on. He got a really nice promotion. He's going to be the triple-A manager of the Norfolk Tides. Your thoughts and how happy you are for the man? Yes, uh, very happy for Gary. It's going to be unusual not being with him in Bowie. Gary's been the Bay Sox manager for the last eight years, uh, the longest-tenured manager not only in the Eastern League uh, here, uh, but also the longest-tenured manager in Bay Sox history. And uh, it, it's just an incredible accomplishment for Gary. I mean, he's done so much in the game. Uh, but when you go around minor league baseball, one thing that you notice is that uh, I, uh, there are many people that are former big league ball players that are in minor league roles. But everybody, I mean, just about everybody played minor league baseball. Everybody was at least a minor leaguer. Gary Kendall never played a game of professional uh, baseball. And for him to rise to this level is, is really remarkable. Yeah, the list is very short of people that have risen that high uh, in Major League Baseball organizations that hadn't played a game. You know, interesting. Um, do you think the team chose him because he's going to get so many of these guys that he had briefly at Bowie, or not briefly, in the case of some, a season or season and a half, but in the case of, say, Yisnael Diaz and Mountcastle, that, right. that that next group of guys that are going to come fairly quickly probably will all pass through Norfolk. Do you think they wanted to get somebody that had had some touch with these guys? I do. I do. I, I, I think that one of the – if you look at – you were just talking to Ben Ryder, uh, and I'm reading his book as well right now, but – you know, a big, there are going to be a few things that are very different within the Orioles organization. You talk to Ben a lot about, uh, there at the end, about uh, the uh, greater influence and investment in Latin America, uh, up from just about nothing to trying to be an instrumental player down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but another big change is that Buck Walter loved to have players in AAA uh, that, in essence, were 4A players. And, and what I mean by that is that they were guys that have been in the major leagues, but they've kind of bounced around. They're good AAA players, and if a guy gets hurt for a week, 
you know, I'm not bringing up a guy that's a prospect just for one week. Right. I'm not having to take a guy that's, uh, you know, that not re- not ready for the the show yet. Exactly. Yeah. I'm I'm bringing up a guy, and he's going to be able to handle it for a few weeks. Well, it's going to be different now, and and uh, I think AAA Norfolk is just going to be used like it's another step on the ladder mm-hmm. uh, when players would. Uh, have great success in Bowie, like Trey Mancini in 2015. He won the batting title in the Easter League, and the Bay Sox won the championship in 2015. Opening day 2016, he's the Bay Sox first baseman. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that now you're going to see the Orioles using Norfolk like another stop on the ladder, meaning the Tides are going to be much younger. They're going to have many more prospects. Uh, and, and with that, having a guy like Gary Kendall is uh, you know, very important. And the other thing, um, about that is that he was a scout. And I know the Orioles have always loved to have Gary at the double-A level uh, because of that fact that you know he's not just evaluating uh, the Orioles players, the Bay Sox, but he's evaluating the other players as well, and he's another great eye to have. So to have that near the top of the organization, uh, being a triple-A manager, I think it is, those are two of the reasons why uh, they focused on Gary. We're talking with Adam Pohl, the play-by-play broadcaster of the Bowie Bay Sox. Um, Brandon Hyde, at mm-hmm. the day he was hired, and then uh, three weeks later I see him at FanFest, and all he talks about is the development that's going on, the teaching and the development that goes on at the highest levels now. Do you think one of the reasons Gary's the right fit there is he's a good teacher? Oh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. In fact, uh, you know, the Bay Sox over the years would get a little grumpy because Gary probably runs more fundamental elements of the game than, right. uh, as far as the practice development uh, than, uh, than, than to, uh, more veteran players would like. But I, I just think it's a great opportunity for Gary. I think he's, he's going to be uh, just a, a great shoulder to lean on, not just for Brandon Hyde, but for the rest of the Orioles staff. And because there's going to be a lot of movement this year, and uh, the movement isn't going to be a 32-year-old outfielder that's coming up to help for a week. Let's say I'm just throwing that out there as a wild example, not really with anyone in mind. But you're going to see a lot of players that are getting their chances uh, to be big leaguers for the first time. And Gary's going to be so important as to uh, how the Orioles trust if a player is ready for that jump. Adam Pole is our guest right now. Give me a couple players you think that under maybe the old regime would still be back at Bowie this year who you think might end up uh, playing for Gary Kendall. Give me three or four names. Uh, you know, two that, that stand out right away. Everyone thinks about the uh, Dodgers deal, uh, the Machado deal. They think about using the Diaz, and he would be on that list. But two of the other players of that, Dean Kramer has only made six double-A starts. Maybe it's eight. He had a six to eight double-A starts. And so that would be a guy. Usually you spend, if you look at a lot of former players, Manny Machado, Matt Wieters, and all these guys coming up, even a guy like Cedric Mullins, they played more games in Bowie than anywhere else. So it would be very unusual in the past to see a guy, even though he had great success in his short stint in double-A, but a guy that's literally had a month in double-A, he would be almost certainly slated uh, for the majority of this season in 19, uh, if not the entirety of it, at the double-A level. But I think Dean Kramer could be pushed very quickly. Uh, it wouldn't be a surprise. If he starts in Bowie and has success, he'll probably be to Norfolk uh, you know, in a month or so, a month or two. Another guy, though, is Zach Pop. 
Zach Pop is a reliever. Mm-hmm. He's got an Picked up in the Machado season. trade, yep. Exactly. So the same deal. And Zach Pop started last year in low A, ended in double A. He's a guy that could be in the Orioles' bullpen this year. I'm telling you, I, I know he's still just 22 or 23 years old, but Pop, he's a Canadian uh, right-hander. He gets great sync. And, you know, he's the kind of pitcher uh, that even when you know what's coming, that two-seamer, kind of in a Britain-esque way, it's really, really tough to deal with. So he's another guy that I think could be a really, a really fast riser. What about uh, Austin Hayes and Diaz? Are they going to start back at Bowie, or do you think they, they make the jump to AAA? And maybe in Hayes' case... I way Hayes is in Bowie. I mean, Hayes was a dominant player in the second half of 2018 in Bowie, or 2017 in Bowie right. uh, and had an injury-plagued season last year. Uh, I think that he's either AAA or if he has a lights-out spring training, he could even have a chance at, at, at starting in Baltimore. I think that's really possible since he's already on the 40-man. Uh, Usniel Diaz, uh, this is another guy that's had over a year at the AA level. So even though when he came over to the Orioles organization, he did not have the kind of success in Bowie that he had had in Tulsa prior. I mean, in Tulsa, he was a 300 hitter with with a, a above 400 on base percentage. I'd be surprised if if he's back in Bowie. I mean, I guess there's a chance that he could start in Bowie, mm-hmm. uh, but but my guess is that Diaz would be in Norfolk to start the year. With the case of Ryan Mountcastle, where mm-hmm. do you think we know that his position is batting? But what what actual position, at least the next year or two, do you think they will center on? Can do you think he could be a second baseman? I I, I not really. I mean, okay. I, I don't see that. I I think that he'll either be a first baseman or a corner outfielder. Um, I I think that first base would fit him well. Okay. And uh, you know, we always think from an Orioles perspective, you think, boy, well, you know, you have Chris Davis and Trumbo and their first baseman, and then you have Mancini, and he's playing in the outfield. He's really a first baseman. But the reality is uh, that you got to see and do what's best for the player. And, you know, first base is a position where you don't really throw the ball all that often. Mountcastle is a pretty athletic guy. I mean, he's not that bad side to side. I mean, he's not, he doesn't have an elite range by any means, but, but he's a guy that, that uh, you know, when it's hit at him per se, like he's got good gloves, it, it's not like, uh, uh, you know, he's really struggling in all elements of defensive <laughs> aptitude. It's that he's got, he's got a below average arm. And, uh, this is one of those things that uh, the, the question is, well, then where do you put him because you want his bat in the lineup? And I'm a, a real believer in his bat, and he could be a guy that in three or four years is a middle-of-the-order yeah. first baseman or left fielder or you know, first baseman DH for the Orioles. So uh, I wouldn't get too down about uh, the defensive side of things because the offense is so enticing. All right, last question for you, and appreciate on short notice you're helping us out and coming on yeah. and talking about Gary Kendall's promotion to being manager at Norfolk. So he's gone. When do you expect to know who's going to be the, the skipper at Bowie this year? Well, we're in February now, so it's got to be pretty It's got to be in the next 30 days. You know, just about everybody uh, has, has been announced. I, I, uh, as far as other teams in our league, uh, those that stand out as possibilities – uh, Ryan Miner, sure. uh, Frederick's manager, a former Bay Sox player. Uh, Buck Britton, who was in Delmarva, he'd be very young for the role. You know what? I, know I thought I read, actually, I thought I read last night, maybe Buck has already been 
been given that. It, it has been reported that that okay. is possible. But okay, I'm is, sorry. Is okay. Yet. The right. reality, what's interesting about it, though, is the Baysox have been around for, you know, since 1993. And uh, I don't think there's ever been a former Baysox player that has been manager. So there's a really good chance that's the case upcoming. All right. Uh, give me just 30 seconds on Buck Britton, why he would be good. Do you think he's a guy that that could be on a fast track to being a major league coach or, or possibly a manager one day? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So I, I'm fortunate enough that I, I've probably seen as many Buck Britton played baseball games as, as anybody. I, you know, probably his parents could, got me beat, but I might be next. That could, be the, that could be the title of your book. That could be the title of your book. In my time with Frederick and Bowie, I was also lucky enough to have Buck sit behind me on the team bus for about two years. So he is, he is a riot. He's got that great personality. He keeps guys on his toes. I can't wait to see uh, you know him as he rises to the Orioles organization. Uh, yeah, continue to gain more managerial chops because he's he's a born leader. Uh, one of my favorite Buck Britton stories uh, as a as a ball player. We were in Akron. They just renamed their team the Akron Rubber Ducks, mm-hmm. and they had this enormous, elaborate uh, ceremony uh, to an, basically on the first game that we were playing there. It was in 2014. Buck was the leadoff hitter for the Bay Sox that day. The Bay Sox had to stand on the line for 40 minutes. Usually, you know, you go mm-hmm. out and yep. the, you know, five minutes. Right. They're out there for 40 minutes. 40. But Britton, uh, Gary was all fired up about it. So the game starts, and they, they get the entire crowd on their feet. Everybody's cheering. Cody Anderson was the starting pitcher at Big Leaguer for, for Akron. And the first pitch was 7,000 people cheering. The first pitch of Red Duck Baseball. Buck Britton hit a no doubt about it home run. <laughs> and and he, he was just steamed. smiled his whole he way around steamed. running the bases uh, because he was he was so <laughs> upset that they had to go stand out there in 45-degree weather for 45 minutes on the line uh, watching the new mascot being introduced. All so right. hey. uh, Buck Britton is a character, and uh, he's just got a great personality. Obviously comes from a, a great baseball family, and uh, it's, it's going to be uh, fun to see him rise in the Orioles system. All right. Well, we appreciate your coming on, and we have great sympathy and empathy for your wife, who's going to have to do a baseball season coming up without you That's being her. present all the time. She's a saint. No all doubt right. about it. Adam, thanks, <laughs> thanks a million. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Stan. All right. There you have it. Adam Pohl, broadcaster of the Bowie Bay Sox. All right. Time for me to tell you about the Costas Inn. I already told you once, uh, Monday night is rib night, Tuesday night is crab cake night, Wednesday night is steak night, Thursday night lobster night, Friday night Pete's specials. He's got a miscellaneous slew of specials uh, all there for you at the Costas Inn. Great place to have crabs, drink some beer, watch a sporting event, or go for fine dining as well at the Costas Inn. And also a great place to get somebody a gift card from. All you do is call up 410-477-1975, give them your credit card, and you can get that gift card squared away for someone special to you. Great family atmosphere. They've been around for God knows how long. Um, the Costas Inn, one of my favorite places, one of Craig Heist's favorite places. Nick and Pete are our guys. Mom and Dad are still there, but Nick and Pete are the ha- heartbeat of the Costas Inn. 4100 North Point Boulevard. 
Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for 30 solid seconds and then we'll go right back glenclarkradio.com pressboxonline.com slash radio and watch the show facebook.com slash pressboxsports respect it's more than a word in the u.s army it is one of our core values earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad on the army team respect is earned daily and now in addition to earning respect you may earn up to forty thousand dollars in bonuses if you qualify to learn more visit goarmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY paid for by the u.s army Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local Turtle. Pressbox's annual Best of Baltimore Sports Double Issue is now available. Presented by Maryland Sports Commission. This issue recognizes UMBC basketball's Ryan Odom and Jarris Lyles as our local sports persons of the year. Plus, 60 more are in the spotlight as we look at the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Section 336 here with all your Baltimore sports talk. The Raven season is now done, but the Orioles season is just ahead. We have a new GM. We have a new manager. We have a few new baseball players out there. Reason for optimism. I don't know if you can name any of those new players, and I think we won 40-some games last year. Yeah, but I remember a terrible year in 1988 where we were able to turn it around the very next year in 1989. Why not 2019? Yeah, why not? Why not check out Section 336 at Section336.com, Facebook, or on Twitter and iTunes as well. Just search for Section 336. What a sweet time to see our friend Steve at his Chick-fil-A restaurant in Nottingham Square. The chocolate milkshakes are the way they should be at Chick-fil-A, thick and chocolatey. But so is the peppermint chocolate chip milkshake, thick, chocolatey, and pepperminty. The strawberry milkshake is thick and very strawberry-y like it's supposed to be. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square also has frosted coffee and ice-cold vanilla shakes. Plus, there's a cookies and cream milkshake. Cookies and cream! The Chick-fil-A sandwich is the best. 
waffle fries are amazing. And at Steve's Chick-fil-A in Nottingham Square, his folks come around to check on you if you dine in. They refilled my drink for nothing the last time I was there. Do not leave hungry. Top off your next meal at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square with something sweet, shakes, cones, and cookies, all done the way you'd expect from Chick-fil-A perfectly. Join Chick-fil-A 1 and score points every time you order for free stuff. Our Chick-fil-A is on Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Our children's futures start at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language, and Catholic faith, while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. Discover the Catholic school's difference. Please visit archbalt.org schools for more information. Oh, we are back to wrap things up on this edition of the Bat Around. If you missed any of it, uh, feel free to go to the PressBox website at pressboxonline.com slash radio and then click on the archive section and you can listen to today's show. Ben Ryder was on, the SI writer who wrote the book Astro Ball, uh, The New Way to Win It All. Um, and he was on with us at 11.20 for about 20 minutes on the show. Uh, Also, you can still go to Facebook and watch parts of the show and still like and share the show. I'm always confused. We'll have three, four hundred people watch parts of the show, and we can only seem to wrangle four or five shares. I'd love to get that figure up to eight to twelve shares. you have any ideas on that, Brittany? Well, we'll figure something out. Just press the button. It's easy. That's, that's a, it's easy peasy, right? Yeah. All right. Thanks for being here. I hope you made it through the snow okay. Of course, yeah. All yeah. right. We'll see you next Saturday as well. Yes. Uh, again, Ken Zales, Sarita Hubbard, Kyle Ottenheimer tomorrow with the Fantasy and Reality Football Show, 10 to 12. And don't forget, Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer, Monday through Friday, 10 to 12, right here on PressBoxOnline.com slash radio or Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports.